saw a movie-style trailer for an online video game that is supposed to be released in the coming year. And it was the title of this video game that caught my attention, I Am Jesus Christ. Jesus, I suppose, is supposed to be the letter I there, I guess. I am Jesus Christ. One reviewer gave the game quite high ratings and listed out some of its key features, including special skills, a realistic fight with Satan in the desert, over 30 miracles like healing people, walking on water, calming the storm, feeding people, plus getting the superpower of the Holy Spirit. In an official description of the game, the publishers asked the question, have you ever wanted to be like him, one of the most privileged and powerful people in the world? That question has some problems. On the one hand, I think it's good to tell people or to ask people to think about what it would be like to be like Jesus. Uh, on the other hand, uh, privileged and powerful are probably not the best words to define what it means to be like Jesus. This is the time of year when churches all around the world revisit and retell the Christmas story. Uh, we did it in our earlier service uh, tonight as well. But even the Gospels themselves, the four books in our New Testament that focus on the coming, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, even the Gospels themselves tell the story of the beginnings of Jesus, his birth narratives if they have them, so they tell them a little differently from one another. We get our basic Christmas stories from the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, the ones that you hear most of the time. Um, we get them from Matthew and Luke. In Luke, we hear more of Mary's side of the story, and we have the shepherds coming to visit. You heard that a little bit earlier in the service when we lit the candle. In Matthew, we get Joseph's side of the story, and that's the, the account uh, where the wise men or the magi come to visit. But according to the best scholarship, it was the Gospel of Mark that was written first, and Matthew, Matthew and Luke followed after, and even borrowed from Mark. And then finally, John's Gospel came along a bit later, perhaps even a, many years later, depending on whom you ask. But Mark, the first Gospel written, doesn't even bother with the birth stories about Jesus. He just jumps right into Jesus' baptism and the launching of his ministry. And in some ways, John, the last to be written, is more theologically develop, developed than the others. At the very least, his account of Jesus is a, is a bit different than the other three. And John does not bother with the birth stories either. However, John does seem to want to go back even further than the birth narratives do in Matthew and Luke. He wants us to know more about the divine origins of Jesus, and indeed the divinity of Jesus, right off the bat. So it is for this reason that John chapter 1 really is actually my favorite Christmas story, even though we don't usually think of it like that. So I want us to hear the word of the Lord together on this Christmas Eve from the Gospel of John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And as is sometimes a tradition in some churches, I'm going to invite you to stand as I read this. The Gospel of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. 
Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. What we learn from the Gospel of John that we don't get from the other three Gospels is that Christ, whom John calls the Word here, Christ was there at the very beginning. And in fact, John opens his Gospel uh, with the exact same wording that the book of Genesis opens with in the translation into Greek. In the beginning. In the beginning. The Word, John says, was there at the beginning. He was with God. Indeed, He was God. He was, we could say, the co-creator with God at creation. So this does indeed go way back before the other birth narratives. And what John means by the Word is the logic, the principle, the reason behind everything, the mind of God. In Jesus, the very mind of God has come to us in human form. And then he seals the deal in verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The world that God had created had become so distant from God's original intentions and purposes that God took rather drastic action. He took on flesh and blood and bone and He became one of us. Why? So that we could experience union with God. which is what he means when he says that in Christ's coming he has given us the right to become children of God, children born of God, in verses 12 and 13. The old-fashioned English word for union with God is atonement. Atonement. And when I say old-fashioned, what I mean is that in the 16th century, when this word was first coined, it didn't mean what we often think of it meaning today when we hear it. Today, when we hear the word atonement, we most often think it refers to Jesus' suffering, death, and sacrifice on the cross where our sins are forgiven. And so sometimes we're going to talk about we have a need to atone for our sins. But in reality, the English word and the Latin word from which it comes originally meant exactly what it looks like when you break it all down. At one meant. At one meant. That is, the goal of the incarnation of God taking on flesh the birth of Jesus, the life and teaching of Jesus at His death and resurrection, was that humankind, you and I, that we would experience at-one-ment with God. So when the Word became flesh, when the Christ child was born in Bethlehem, God united with humanity so that humanity could be united with God. God united with humanity in the birth of Christ so that humanity could be united with God. But why do we need union with God? Why do we need atonement? Because we have strayed so far from God's original intentions. And while I understand that it is statistically true that the world is actually less violent now than at any time else in all of history, it doesn't seem like it, does it? 
However we, far we may have come as human beings, however we may have, far we may have come as a society of human beings, it is clear to me that we still have a long way to go. I hope that none of us gathered in this room think that violence or suffering or racism or war or injustice or poverty or oppression are good things. I hope that all of us ache for a better world. And just as hunger and thirst within us point to the existence of food and water, hunger and thirst within us point to the existence of food and water, so our hunger for a better world tells us something. It tells us that either a better world once existed or that one day a better world will exist. Our hunger, our ache for a better world tells us that either a better world once existed or a better world will one day exist. Perhaps both. The worldview we get from the early pages of our Bibles, the book of Genesis from which John draws his opening words, is that a better, that a good world did once exist. God designed the world to take care of us and us to take care of the world, and God designed human beings to flourish in community and to love and serve one another. And we were all designed to live in intimate relationship with God. Everything in all of creation was designed for good. But we have been damaged by our own evil desires. Over and over again, we have chosen to think we know a better way to live, and so we have rebelled against God. And that rebellion against God and God's ways has caused humanity and all of creation to spiral downward and out of control. And as good and as important and as helpful as technology and education and good government can be, they will never get to the root of our problem, our selfishness and sin. So in the birth of Christ, God has taken action. Because he loves us, and because he loves all of creation, God sent his only son into the world. The word became flesh. He identified with us, and he identified with what it means for us to be human beings in a sinful and damaged world. He suffered and died at the hands of the evil and sin that human beings do, and he rose again, conquering death and opening way for all of us to experience union with God at one moment, now and in the world to come. And in so doing, Jesus has also unleashed the power within us to heal our damaged world. Through Jesus and through those in whom Jesus lives, God is moving creation to its best possible conclusion, the restoration of all things, or the reconciliation of all things, as it says in Scripture, the infinitely better world for which we were designed and for which we hunger, whether we know it or not. The book of Revelation, the last book in our Bibles, tells us uh, of just such a day when God will dwell with us and we will dwell with him, when he will wipe every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. There will be a new created order. The goal then is that more and more of us buy into the way of Jesus, the way he lived, the way he calls us to live. For in the birth of Christ, God has announced that we are welcomed into the kingdom of God. God has called us to come to Christ, to choose to identify with Him and follow Him and to be transformed into more Christ-like people, or as we like to say it, say it, Christiform people. That is, as we come to know God in Christ, as we learn to follow Him, the character and divine nature of Christ is fleshed out in our lives. And as the Apostle Paul puts it, Christ is formed in us. And as Christ is more and more formed in us, Christ in us becomes more present to the world in which we live. The world that needs the healing, forgiving, and saving love of God that we have come to know. 
It's a beautiful plan. And just as God invites all of humanity into His welcome, transformation, and presence, so we desire to be on this journey and to invite others into this journey as well. And so our prayer is that all who come through our doors will experience the radical welcome of Jesus from whatever phase, stage, or type of life they come from. That they, know, they will know they are welcomed by Jesus and they are welcomed by us. Our prayer is that all who choose to respond to Christ and follow Him will journey with Him in their own transformation and that through their presence in the world, God will heal and restore and redeem. But that healing and that restoration begins with our atonement, our union with God. Speaking of union with God, that is actually kind of the uh, point of view or the intention of that silly video game I mentioned earlier. We, we play I am Jesus Christ because we want to be Jesus Christ, at least in the virtual world. There's a rather funny clip on this that uh, Noah Trevor did. He said he didn't want to really pay, play I am Jesus Christ, but he would love to play other games as Jesus Christ. He thought playing in Madden's NFL would be great as Jesus Christ because he could throw the ball further. And they would say, what play would you use? He said, Hail Mary, same as every time. In the opening scene of the trailer, we see Jesus walking across the desert. And then the camera zooms into his face, and there's this little flash of light. And then suddenly we're inside Jesus' head, and we're looking out into the world through his eyes. And before us stands a blind person. I'm not sure if that's a man or a woman, but it's a blind person. And the hands do this, and the music plays, and the light goes forth, and then this person can see again. Then we as Jesus multiply fish for the hungry, walk on water, calm the storm, and finally we even find ourselves on the cross between two thieves. And then in the final few seconds of the trailer, we experience resurrection. And we raise our hands, and the stone rolls away from the entrance to the tomb. Well, as you can imagine, there are some Christians out there who oppose this game. One critic said, quote, A lot of Christians would not be comfortable with being Jesus. And while I understand what he's saying there, I think there are actually plenty of indications in the New Testament that God invites and empowers us to do just that, to be Jesus in the world. The Apostle Paul says that we are to imitate him as he imitates Christ. 1 John 4, 17 says that in this world we are like Christ. Earlier in the same book, we are told, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And finally, Jesus himself, toward the end of the Gospel of John, prays for us all that we will be one with him as he is one with the Father. Becoming one with Jesus is the goal of life. It is the key to living a truly good life. It's what we were designed for. Union with Christ is not something we have to work up. However, it's, it's not something we have to play a game in order to become. It's something we are transformed into over time once we take those initial steps of responding in faith to Jesus' invitation to follow him. Christ has come into the world not just to save us from God's judgment, but to make it possible for us to experience and enjoy oneness with God, our creator, our atonement. And that is the true meaning of life. And it begins with the very thing that we celebrate this evening, the birth of Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. It begins with that and with our response to that incredible, beautiful event. 
if you want to know more about what it means to know Jesus and what it might look like to experience or to begin to experience union with Jesus, I invite you to uh, pay attention to that card that Pastor Jordan drew your attention to in the, in the opening announcements, inviting you to take some next steps. I invite you to consider joining us on Sunday mornings in the coming weeks as we explore together the life and teaching of Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. But it all starts here. It starts with this incredible event in which the God, the creator of the universe, took on flesh and blood and bone so that we might know union with him. Would you pray with me?